Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges. Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earl. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. This is episode 97, and I'm Amanda Earl, and it is Christmas Day, December 25th, 2022. And I'm here with uh, a special guest, Charles Earl. Hi, Charles. Hi, Amanda. We're here to talk about uh, the poetics of photography. Um, so, I started this series within the podcast because it seems to me that poetry exists everywhere in some form or another. Engaging with it in different disciplines and media helps to gain insight into poetry itself. What makes a poem poetry is an ongoing question of mine. So far, we've had two episodes. We we had one on the poetics of music with Subraj Singh back in 2020, December 28th. And we had the poetics of film with Jennifer Mulligan, December 30th, 2021. So, the, for this episode, I asked my husband, Charles Earl, to talk to me about the poetics of photography. So our plan is to look at a few photos and talk about them. And I've decided I'll also include a few, uh, some links in the show notes for you to follow along and take a look. So um, so this seemed like a nice idea. So first, uh, we have, uh, we both of us have a little glass of uh, Lagavulin. So I'm just taking a little drink and saying cheers and uh, Happy New Year, Happy Christmas to everyone. Cheers. Cheers. So the first thing I'm going to do is I've never interviewed you before, Charles. So this is a little bit odd, but uh, uh, <laughs> true, eh? We've never had an interview with each other. We, nope. you, know, you didn't interview me to meet me. You didn't interview me for any other thing. As a matter of fact, it's been a long time since I've had an interview. I mean, maybe 30, 35 years since my last interview. There you go. Well, this, this is more of a. We'll make this more of a conversation rather than an interview. That will that will be less uh, less strange and and but still fun. I think. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is, um, um, please uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, tell the listeners about yourself and also your history with photography. Give it a go. <laughs> oh well, that's great. Well, I'll talk about my history of photography. I've been enjoying <laughs> photography since I was a little tyke. I got into it more uh, with when I was in Air Cadets and then, uh, you know, on and off breaks here and there. It was shooting film in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And then, of course, uh, you know, took a little bit of a break and digital photography came into my life and uh, I began doing that the aughts and, um, you know, with Amanda's uh, great, wonderful uh, inspiration and uh, encouragement, we've been doing quite a bit of it for some years. I have, you know, been doing less of late, you know, with the wonderful world that we have and everything else going on. And uh, but I do do love the the, the creation of the still image, and I think that uh, it's very important in our society that we, you know embrace it look at it admire it and notice what these photographers are trying to get across that's great 
That was interesting. And the other thing I wanted to bring up is that the, your first experience with a digital camera was actually when, when we first got together back in 2001, because I had, I had a, a, a digital camera that required, um, micro floppies that I'd bought in, uh, in 2000. So you, that was your first experience with a digital camera. If I, if I recall. <laughs> that is correct. It was a, it was a Sony. And it used a uh, three and a quarter inch or three and a half inch uh, floppy disks that were uh, things that we all used in those days. But uh, now, you know, you say that to somebody nowadays, they probably look at you like a strange person. I think you can go on YouTube and look up what these things were like in the retro section <laughs> or vintage section, as some people have been known to say. There you go. You know, I mean, I might actually be able to look around and find one or two of them still kicking around the apartment. Uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's a piece of technology that was very popular for quite a few years, but unfortunately stored next to nothing in this modern-day world of large images and uh, videos and everything else that people use on their cameras, on their phone cameras, that is. And now you mostly use your you use your phone to take photos now. I like everybody else has switched over to mainly using the phone. The cameras there are fantastic. They're also always with you. And you have to admit the the camera you have with you is the only camera that counts. I mean it's not like the days of uh, uh you know where one always has time to carry a camera around. I mean, now you're, you're carrying the phone as well. It's got that piece of technology. And that's probably why the world is becoming so, so documented and so seen. Yeah, that's, that's it. I'm going to share, um, I'm in the show notes. I'm going to share your uh, website too. So people can see uh, a lot of the photos that you did um, through the uh, sort of the, I guess the early mid aughts where there were a lot of um, photographs from literary events, a lot of really beautiful um, portraits of writers and others who, you know, we went to readings a lot and stuff like that. So it's called uh, brokenviewfinder.com and I'll share, I'll share that plus charlesearl.com as well. So that's my well, Thank plan. you very much. Yeah, that was a time period I think I did for like 1800 days or something like that. Uh, a consecutive number of days for uh, one photo a day that I was putting up on the site, something to share with the world. I think it was a popular thing at the time. Yeah, yeah, that was good. So we have we have several. I've basically I've picked out um, several photos that we're going to look at and discuss. Charles, in terms of the photography, and I'll try and figure out what I see as a poetic. Well, maybe both of us will see what it is. So, uh, so that's that's our plan, and we'll see how many uh, we get through. Uh, the first one is called Sinking Body, and it's from 2016 by a photographer named Joey Solomon. And so from his site, Joey Solomon says, uh, Joey Solomon makes portraits of people and fleeting experiences of joy, intimacy, pain, and isolation. I found this uh, this um, um, photo on the NewYorker.com's uh, culture site. It's and from in an article called "The Visceral Satisfactions of a Disabled Photographer's Gaze." So let's start looking at that photo. Charles, can you talk t tell us what the photo? We're going to be because this is an audio um, podcast. We're going to be describing this in words. If that isn't poetic enough for you, I don't know what is. So here we go. Can you talk about what the photo? Uh, what's what the photo is? What we're looking at. Well. What we're looking at here is a photo of of a of it looks like a person reaching out, but the image looks like it's a double or triple exposure. It's obviously 
you know, confused, uh, you know, struggling, and gives the impression of quite a bit of distress. So, I mean, you've got a very powerful image here. It's done in black and white. It's, it's trying to simplify the, the, the concepts it's presenting here, but it's, at the same time, you get the hint of the pool, or it looks like underwater, in water. You get the hint of the person uh, being rescued or not. You're never quite sure what the end result is. I think it's a, an amazing image and an example of the need in our society to have more diverse viewpoints on the world, to see what, from the perspective of a, of a different uh, uh, point of view of the world, to, to see what people in their life experiences see in the world. I mean, let's face it, uh, the, the photography of going back in time has been very much images of news, media, whatever. Now we're finally getting a chance to see different perspectives from different groups of people. It's a much, much better, better universe. I would say, too, that, um, yeah, the, the the blurring of the doubling really interests me in the photo as well, like the... Um, that um that person who's basically uh, the person is just uh, has on a pair of trunks that could do like bathing trunks or something like that and it's um yeah there's um emily dickinson uh, said tell the truth but tell it slant and the one thing i really like about photography is when it's a blurred image or it's a, it's 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 distorted in some way like it's not um it's not a straightforward um way of looking at the world because the world that's not how the world is right so and that and the same with poetry like it's a way of articulating and communicating without having to be just straight on like you, you see you get a lot more out of it just by that i think so that's one of the things and uh, that article has a lot of really great uh, photos and also uh, i'll post joey solomon's uh, site up as well as a link to the article by aaron orby as well anything else about this photo you'd like to say while we're while we're here well i think this this photo has it really portrays the struggle i mean there is a struggle for, especially if you know, knowing that this is uh, from this perspective of, uh, uh, from the disabled perspective, the struggle and trust you have to reach out for strangers. I mean, I remember, uh, I think it was a poetry reading we were at maybe 20 years ago or maybe 18, 15 years ago, some way Long back time. when time, <laughs> when there was, it was at a, in a basement of a bar. The staircase was a treacherously steep thing that uh, no other way in. And an individual in a wheelchair wanted to participate. And the amount of trust that person faced, or whatever words you want to use, to be carried down that staircase by a group of strangers and then be basically trapped down there until that group of strangers, so another group of strangers was willing to take them back upstairs. It's, an, it's a, a very complex uh, personal experience, I'm sure, and I'm sure this is what this image is trying to get across. You know, that, that reaching out to a stranger, that reaching out, that need for assistance from, from just the, everybody, not just from, you know, not just from the people they trust in the world. That's it. And the other thing, too, about that was the, the issue of accessibility as well, which which it came through. There was no way for that person to attend that that reading unless they had they had to rely on others. So that uh, that's a 
that's something that's in, that was a good point about that experience. And and yeah, in this in this photo too, I, I highly recommend uh, you check out uh, Joey Solomon's uh, photos. They're they're quite incredible um, work. All right, so we move on to the next. Certainly. The next is an untitled piece I actually found on Instagram by Meng Wen Sao. And uh, the photo itself is a dream collaboration with Eddie Kwan and their performance of Uma Ya, which tells a story of a young boy who learns he will be a mother. And I'm going to share the link to the performance on the show notes. And from uh, Meng Wen Sao's uh, site, uh, we learn that Meng Wen Sao is a photographer, artist, and educator born and raised in China, currently based in New York. As a queer immigrant, they use care and tenderness to explore spaces between race, gender, and cultural identity. So that's um, that's um, that's our um, our photographer taking this great photo of Eddie Kwan in this in this uh, performance. What uh, what's your first uh, things you want to? Can you talk about what the photo is, Charles? Before we well, to me again, you know, the image only has a few seconds or fraction of time to get to catch the eye. The first thing that comes across with this image is the dream-like sort of state. The the obvious main character, the face in this in this photograph, is struggling, is is trying to figure something out, and yet there's these these images of of flowers and petals around. It is it is obviously a person who is 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 struggling with life, struggling with their interpretations of it, and living at the same time a bit of a fantasy. Yeah, I like what I like here, especially is I, I like the, the the there's space the Eddie Kwan, um, the um, the performer in this character is lying is in a reclining position, and all you see is their head and a little bit of their body surrounded by Chris. I would say those are Chris, yellow and uh, and white, white uh, chrysanthemums, and uh, they have uh, this beautiful uh, pink colors at their at their corner of their eyes that could be a, almost like bruises but they're they're such beautiful colors and then their lips are painted the same similar color and so yeah it's a, a sort of a dream it feels like a dream uh, state and i guess uh yeah what would i say about this from the point of view of trying to relate it to uh poetry i i think um Part of it is the arrangement of things, you know, like there's and the space, like there's um there's a person who's reclining, and then they there are these flowers which feel, look they give the impression of of coming down from above, and then there's that there's a few little petals coming down from above. Like the placement of everything is important in this photo. I also would say that the um I, I'm going to share the link to the actual performance. Eddie Kwan um, moves through this performance. They're playing a uh, like a violin, and they're changing from um, basically they're wearing these wide um, white. Uh, pants to this they they put on this amazingly beautiful dress with um a corset and then it goes on it, it's quite an elaborate and beautiful performance and there's what i would call sound poetry in there too i would say the thing about this this photo too is for me it shows movement and uh how does a poem uh, as well show movement and i think a lot of times a poem can show movement in um the arrangement of things as well so 
um, you can imagine, for instance, the line breaks and the different ways in which this photo too is broken. I mean, there's there there are several photos in this in this Instagram uh, story, which I will, or rather, Instagram suite of uh, photos, which I'll share the link to, and you can see um, see the other photos. And I think the color, the complementary yellow and sort of purpley too, is interesting. Opposite, sort of, in a way. So yeah, I I agree. The 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 bringing of movement into this image was done through the slightly blurred uh, exposure of the petals as they fell upon this performer's face. You also give the you, you can see what I see as butterfly wings in those in those uh, in that makeup. Is mm -hmm. he dreaming of being you know with those flowers? Is he dreaming mm -hmm. of escaping with the flower you know into the flowers? I mean, you can you can see a bunch of things. The human face is the most powerful image for us to put into a photograph. When you put it in there, it, it speaks volumes. That's it. And so, yeah, so this is a photo. This is this is a photo. Um, uh, the idea of, of the human face makes me think, too, of, um, and the portrait makes me think of um, when a poem is autobiographical, too. And it's not always necessarily easy to tell. Sometimes bits and pieces are blurred out because because it's an autobiographical thing. And sometimes people prefer not to reveal uh, details. And in this case, this is um, a photo um, of someone else, but um, you can imagine maybe, a, I feel like there's a, a intimate connection between the photographer and the photographer's subject. Like it just feels, uh, it feels like a, there's a, there's a closeness. And I think that that happens a lot in photography that there, even if a person, even if the photographer doesn't know the, uh, the subject that, that, that intimacy is created through uh, the photo, through the act of taking the photo. So. Uh, yes. I think you need to create at least some form of trust that the image is going to be that's going to be portrayed is what both the person in the photograph and the person creating the photograph photograph want or desire, and that you uh, it is a you know a work collaboration to some degree. You know both people are participating in it. You have to you have to encourage, bring out, get your subject to participate in the in the expression of the art you're trying to create. Yeah, I, I mean, I know a lot of times a lot of photos are taken uh, without uh, people's permission. So I guess people aren't quite always participating. But if you, as a photographer, I guess you have to find ways of, of, of making them part of it. So it's not, uh, it's not remote, right? Otherwise, it's not a successful portrait. True enough. What was that? I, I, think, I think that when... The thing about photographs being taken without necessarily the participation of the person subjects in it, that's a, a complicated complicated matter, but in their way, they are that is also a, a, I don't know how to describe it, a a dance with the with the with the yeah. unknowing people to get them to, to take that image at the right moment in time to bring out that needed story that you're trying to tell. 
Yeah, and and with 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 things with writing and with any type of art, that connection between the subject and and the art itself, that's always a dance, right? I mean, a poem can be also um, have to do with um, something that is not a person's own story, and and the sort of respect that's needed to portray that, and and to and the research that's needed to go in. So those things are are important, so that you don't. Um, appropriate or, or you know, so those, that's that's an issue that that raises comes into my mind when I look at this photo too, and uh, yeah. So that's uh, anything else to say about that photo? No, I think it's time to move on. All right. So the next photo, we're, we're going to go back to 1980. Most of the, all the photos are um, contemporary, but I decided I wanted to also talk about a, a, a photo of Francesca Woodman, which I saw when I was researching for something else. And it's called Untitled, McDowell County, Peterborough, New Hampshire. And I'll, I'll give you the link. And it's part of uh, something that she did as part of a fellowship. So... Um, so Francesca Woodman, from uh, from the site I'm reading, 1958 to 1981, was a prodigious talent who made her first mature photograph at the age of 13 and created a body of work that had been critically acclaimed in the years since her death. And for this, she spent three weeks in July of 1980 on a fellowship at the McDowell Colony, surrounded by other artists, as well as musicians, poets, novelists, and the forests of rural New Hampshire. She arrived there from New York, already thinking about trees this sounds like a dream to me already and she would she says um in on her on the site i would like words to be my photographs what the photographs are to the text in andre breton's nadia he picks out the illusions and enigmatic details of some rather ordinary unmysterious snapshots and elaborates elaborates them into a story i'd like my photographs to condense experience and so this photo is is from that series and it's um it's a woman who has her back to the camera. She's got both of her arms up and there are her, her, I guess her wrists are, are, um, are surround. She's got her hands up into, um, the, the, uh, tree bark. And then there are some, uh, trees. What kind of trees are they? Are they like poplar trees? I think they're something like Maybe that. Bark. Birch trees. Birch, birch trees. Thank you. Birch trees. And then, so that's the, that, this is a black and white photo and the black, uh, dark forest is in the background and this is highlighted. And so that's, that's the photo. And, no, it's, and it's, an, it's an amazing photo. I mean, yeah. at first when you look at it, you're going to sit there and go, you know, if it doesn't catch your attention, does not catch your attention. But it's going to nag at your eye. It's going to make you think about it. You're going to have to look at it again and again as you start to discover and find and feel your way through it. I mean, let's face it, the tree bark on the wrist with the arms up, she basically becomes the tree, uh, this person in her pose. I mean, it, 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 it is a subtle, at the same time, you know, makes you wonder ponder what is going on that this person wants to express this transition from human to nature yeah yeah that's that's a great i like that way of thinking about it too and and to me it has a kind of a fairy tale quality to it the idea of um of uh you know like i mean at least she's changing into a tree it does it does have that fairy tale fable kind of quality to it as well yeah and i i i um yeah, uh, actually, what I would like to do now is um, 
I first heard about Francesca Woodman from a poet, actually. I was at a reading a lot many years ago now, and uh, the local poet Ian Roy read some of his poems, and he has a whole section in a book called Redbird, which came out in, um, let's see, when did it come? 2007, actually, uh, with Bouchek Books, which is a, a publisher that um, has uh, is, used to be... Um, uh, the local publisher. So this poem is called New Hampshire, and it's actually I think I think it's probably from this series. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read that. New Hampshire. We imagine a change in her eyes, in the way she looks at the camera. We can see it. We're all so sure of this. We're all so stubborn and naive. Her arms are covered in birch bark. It isn't hard to imagine roots growing from the soles of her feet buried somewhere beneath in the cold, hard New Hampshire soil, wrapped around stone and earth, slithering past the roots of other trees, and her arms stretching up and out, and leaves sprouting from the tips of her fingers, pulling in the light and turning it into darkness. So I thought that was a good coincidence that I happened to remember, like, you know, find that poem. It's a scene. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's yeah. a great extension of this image. Yeah, I mean, she's not in this scene. She's not looking into the camera, but she's got her, her her back to the camera. But just that idea too of the connection between humans and nature as well. And I think too, we're we're seeing a lot of um, a lot more poetry dealing with the climate emergency and dealing with um, you know the environment. And I almost think this almost feels like it's ahead of its time and sort of making that connection. And so I know it's always been the case that there, but there is, there is a, yeah, there's something really, um, is it, is, I don't think it's a, is it, do you can think that the mood here is a dark mood? I'm not sure that I do. Do you, do you think it is or do you in the picture? Uh, I think the mood is, again, it's going to be, the viewer's perspective it's going to bring into the viewer's own personal feelings so for those who want to see humanity going back to nature and looking after nature be part of nature they could see that it is also could be an image of finality for those who are looking at the other side of the universe at the at the end of time they can see it as that as well and that is the beauty of this image is that it, it actually can tell many tales depending on the tale that the viewer themselves brings into it yeah yeah, that's that's a good point actually yeah i mean to me i i um i'm so thrilled but i think some uh, the the thrill of this photo like i i find it thrilling to look at like it, it just evokes a lot in me uh, as far as um as um and also her her sort of her like she's at the bottom of the, at least the way they're showing it in, in, on the site she's at the bottom of the frame and then the trees are kind of um you know it moves up to the trees so you know that Yes, being human is not the important part of this image. It is the transition that is the important part of this image. The humanity becoming nature, the transitioning into nature, that is what this image is trying to say. Even having her turned away from the camera removes yeah. some of the humanity from her. Yeah, that's neat. And, and then it makes me think about um, poems that try to uh, eliminate the eye from the poem while still somehow keeping that perspective there. So, uh, so it's an interesting, interesting. And I, I don't know. I also like the lines of the, of the, of the photo. Like there's, there are three trees. One of her arms is between one with the birch bark uh, surrounding her one wrist. And then, and then the other one is, is on the outside of the other. Like there's an interesting, uh, a, a very linear looking, um, 
like it's 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 a very orderly piece, right? It's a very um, from a vertical perspective, it's got a very it's got verticality to it. So that's another thing. It reminds me it of it. Certainly a, does. It yeah. also breaks one of the uh, rules of photography. You know, you're always trying not to have something growing out of people's heads. Oh right. But, <laughs> but this is done on purpose as her arms are becoming trees. Obviously, you know the the connection between her head and the tree that is a real tree is part of the, what they're trying to achieve here. By breaking these rules and, and putting her arms between the trees, she's adding to the forest. I mean, that's that's all part of that that you know complex image they're trying to portray. Is it uh, you know is it returning to nature? Is it helping nature, or is it the end of nature that she's portraying? That is a question. That's it. That's great. And, and I would say there's a lot of a lot there's a lot of poetry that is uh, writing about that, and also the dystopian, apocalyptic stuff that we're uh, we're experiencing uh, <laughs> uh, with the climate emergency. It's it's coming out in people's uh, art and in their writing. So uh, even this was from 1980, but uh, prescient in many ways. I think. All right. Absolutely. So for the next photo, um, what Charles and I were actually at the National Gallery. I think we were there for our, it was for our, uh, I think we went there for our 20th wedding anniversary as, as, for a celebration. And so as we, when we were there, we saw um, in this, there's a upstairs in the photography uh, uh, part, section of the, of the gallery, there's a, there was a, a really great exhibition called Movement and Expression, which was just a fantastic uh, one and in there, there were there were some there were four pieces uh, called "Our Women and Girls Are Sacred," and the uh, artist was Catherine Hackpanny. So, um, yeah, this was from Movement and Expression, Expressive Bodies in Art exhibition, and it's from 2016. The series and and she did them in inkjet print, and from her site, she says that the uh, the uh, the works are named. The photos are named after the dispor disproportionately high number of murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, and Two Spirit in Canada. So, um, yeah. And what she says on her site is almost every aspect of Inuit life has a belief attached to it, a way of showing people how to honor their values. As a self-taught emerging photographer, Catherine Tapkan sorry Takpani honors her Inuit worldview through her lens, one that is strongly grounded in social accountability and unity. To her, photography is the best medium to reclaim her identity and explore her experiences as an urban Inuk. Catherine has studied her history, culture, and language and uses her knowledge to seamlessly convey her vision and emotion. Catherine's visual language expands out from lush landscapes to intimate self-portraits and gritty urban scenes. Takpani's artistic practice also focuses on revealing the complexities and nuances of urban Inuit life, which includes capturing performative and political gestures of contemporary issues that Indigenous Canadians face daily. She aims to help raise awareness and bring forth important conversations through her work. And I would say with these with these four photos, she definitely did that. Would you like to tell us about the uh, photos? Sure. You know, when we were walking through the gallery and I glanced over these images, uh, I mean, I was stunned. I was I was amazed. I was drawn to them. For one, one aspect alone was the technique. I mean... Here you had images that did not use Photoshop or, you know, in any way, shape, or form. The image achieved 
a thing commonly done by people nowadays where you where you, you bring one color out and you get rid of all the other ones with that strong smoke effect wrapped around the person in the image. The pink smoke is strong, it's powerful. It, it draws the eye from across a gallery. And yet, the photo is obviously, when you get closer, you can see. You can see the little bit of colors in the, in the corners. This image was taken in such a way to give you that black and white sort of feeling. But at the same time, it was completely in touch with nature. I think that is an amazing thing to achieve. I loved it. Every single one of these images were are breathtaking in their power, and especially in the conversation about the loss, the, the almost irrelevancy irrele of the situation, or where it's not supposed to be relevant, but the way society does not react to the losses of, of indigenous people and people at risk. And I think it is amazing that she got this, she's self-taught, got these powerful images out there. Yeah, and, and the thing is, so basically the, the photo is of a woman who is, uh, um, it's a winter scene. Uh, she's dressed in a very, um, it's just like, like uh, shorts, fishnet stockings and a sleeveless top she's uh, wearing a mask and uh she's holding a device that i guess is um is uh, spewing out this pink smoke so some kind of a device and then, flare of some kind yeah and then yeah, so yeah. In the, and then then in the background is a winter scene with uh, tr uh bare trees and there's some um a little bit of green at the top but so so but the snow is is white and the the rocks are black so it does look like a black scene and yeah i, I guess it's the pink is a shocking color it makes me think of the uh uh, murdered and missing Indigenous women, uh, the 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 red dress campaign. They they um, have every year where they where people hang red dresses to remind people about the fact that this is still happening. That there's still um, uh, women who are are uh, Indigenous women who are um, being murdered and who are missing. And uh, so the pink does remind me of that. Um, it's a very um, it's like it it's interesting. One aspect of of the 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 photo is is this big it's it's a very yeah it's a very noticeable thing and, and i guess in in poetry there's a couple of things like uh talking about uh the issues of the day as as part of the other other photo as well and also um it's got a very there's a powerful it there's a lot of power in this photo it's kind of a fuck you in a way right to um to yeah, stop so, yeah so and i think that's um sort of needing to find ways to convey um uh, rebellion and resilience is is a ferocity like is a strong these this is a really strong set of images and uh, i hope you if you're in ottawa i hope you get a chance to see that uh that exhibition is there anything else you want to say about that photo well i think you know you you know when you mentioned about the snowy landscape that's in the background of the the creek and the rocks i mean you're i mean you're basically looking, looking at the stark life this image portrays that stark life of uh women at risk who are who are for whatever reason engaging in what they're engaging in and i mean it is not easy and then you put that whole you know this person is not seen you're not you don't really see them amongst the smoke but you know the person is there and 
that is our problem. We're not seeing these people. And that is what, what this image portrays is so strong. Yeah. It's so simple and it's in its in its creation, it is so straightforward and simple, and yet the image it, the the message is it is so strong. Yeah, and also it feels a little bit like also a celebration of the of those women too at the same time. They exist, they are they are worth uh knowing and, and mourning or finding and uh and absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, there is no there's no doubt about that. They are they are certainly worth knowing, uh celebrating and finding yeah so yeah that's good and i i yeah i mean i think all of this just applies the same in 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 poetry as it does uh in the photos you you uh, you take um something in the poem as the subject and you find ways to make it stand out in some way in using some technique uh, and then um, finding a way to also show the background. I don't know. That's that's the closest I can come to. Uh, to well, um... I would say, I would add in here, the biggest thing any artist has to do is to get people to stop, look, listen, whatever it is, to the art in its, in its form. The, the poetry... For poetry, it's getting people to listen to the words, to pay attention to the images, to become part of what that poem is, poet is trying to say. With the mm -hmm. photography, you've only got a fraction of a second to get people to notice, to to parse, to even start to pick out the image. And in this day of overexposure to images of, of our, in our society, where there's so many images being thrown at people, it is hard to get people to see you. And I think this is a great example of an image that gets can be seen no matter where, it's, where it is, no matter how crowded a room, this image and the other images that she created will be seen. And that is exactly what she's trying to say. That's it. Well, hopefully, uh, if you're in Ottawa and, and the exhibit, I'm not sure when that exhibition uh, ends, but... Uh... Uh, movement, movement and bodies of expression at the National Gallery of Canada. If you can go see it, uh, it's upstairs. It's in the uh, photography uh, gallery, and I highly recommend you go in. All right, shall we move on to the next? Certainly. The next one is called Pink Two Two Seven, and it's ice tile photography from Cherry Archer. So Cherry Archer is a Vancouver-based artist. She studied photography at Focal Point Vancouver and fashion design at Sheridan College in Oakville, Ontario. She's known for her botanical ice tile photography. Her art is strongly influenced by eco-psychology, a field which fosters ecological thinking and documents how exposure to natural bene nature benefits mental, physical, and emotional well-being. She's a gardener also and an avid forager, so her process for these photos begins by snipping plants she grows in her garden or with a long forest or urban walk to forage botanicals. She composes then incrementally freezes the vegetation in water to form what she calls botanical ice tiles. And then she the tiles are illuminated with colored light, then photographed over several sessions. During each session, she experiments with changing light color combinations and the varying frost patterns which form on the tile surface each time it ex exits the freezer. Between two Cherry often refines the composition with additional plant matter and texturizes the ice surface by adding water with misters and droppers. 
Aesthetically, her work is influenced by the skies, the delicate detailing, and the curvaceous lines of Rococo-era paintings. The images are abstract. They are, they are developed large enough to reveal the minute details of air bubbles, frost crystals, plant textures, and the occasionally accidentally trapped insect. So yeah, I just, I love, love, love this photo, this pink 227. I, 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 I loved it. It's like, it's, uh, there's a kind of a purple background and there's, there's, uh, this plant material. And then there are, are like, which is in kind of beige. And then there are these, um, sticks with, uh, plants starting there in green, like as if they're just starting to grow. And then there, it, it, I thought at first I was looking at the ocean, like it was just so, and, and it doesn't look like it, it's not a, it's, it is an abstract photo. So yeah, I was really blown away by, by everything to do with this uh, photo. It's an amazing, an amazing abstract image. And to achieve it again with not using, uh, you know, computer tools to achieve it through, uh, you know, a natural, uh, not natural, it's not the right word, uh, through a, a, a creative process of, you know, using ice and, and forming these images and going in and out of the freezer the way it did. When I first saw it, I saw, I saw a wintry storm scene. I saw, you know, and then I, of course you realize the scale was obviously smaller plants and you're going and looking at it. You just kept looking at the image and discovering more and more and more as you go into it. And there's always something to find hidden in that ice, hidden in those crystal patterns, speaking to you as you, as you reach out to that image. And when an image can do that to a person, bring a person back, get them looking at it again and again and again, and show them something new. That is always an amazing achievement. I've, I've been reading, um, um, there's um, there's an American poet, her name is Emma Kojo, and her first book of poetry just came out. It's called uh, uh, The Bluest Nude. And um, I found out about it from uh, Between the Covers with David Naiman. I listened to the, they had an episode, it's a podcast. And uh, the first, one of the poems, the early poems in the book is called Blueprint. And I just keep reading this poem over. I can't seem to move past it. It's like that. I I just keep reading it over and over again and I'm finding more in it. It's not a particularly long poem, but it, I just keep reading it over and over again. So that that's, that's what I thought of when you said that. The other thing this makes me think of, the process that she used reminds me a lot of the the process of editing and revision of 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 any any creative work but especially poetry you just you tend to keep going you can often like uh the the famous um um expression a uh, quote from uh the french poet paul verlaine who said uh, a poem is never finished merely abandoned and i i guess that's that's what happens with uh, editing and revision i'm i'm wondering too if um when uh, when uh, this photographer cherry archer when when she knew she was finished like how did she tell when she was done i mean this is this is uh this is really magnificent <laughs> yeah well, when you're creating an image like this, I would think knowing you were done is probably the hardest and most difficult part for her. I mean, I would think the stopping, the fiddle, the yeah. change, the tweaking would be something that would probably, she probably, she may have spent hours on variations of this image and then gone back and realized her best image, her strongest story was one of the first ones she took. That can and happen. That is part of that process. Yeah. Sometimes you have to step back. Sometimes you just have to continue to go forward. I mean, I don't think knowing when she was done was probably that clear a, a thing for her. I mean, I'm sure that this is a one of many versions of this from this day 
or even you know week when she was working on this image. I just think that the whole thing screams the struggle of Canadian winter. Yeah, yeah. Nature, nature fighting through impossible odds, and at the same time, where are we in this? Where is humanity? There is none. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I, and then I think of that famous, there's a fa uh, Wallace Stevens poem. I think it's Wallace Stevens called The Mind of Winter. You must have a mind of winter. And I can't remember anything about it, but I, I remember I love the idea of a mind of winter. And for everyone sort of having to deal with all the awful of winter right now, uh, I hope your winter mind is doing okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I, I wonder, too, in the process that she uses, whether or not sometimes um, she can ruin uh, something by, do, you know, doing too much processing of it, right? Like by going over it too much. I wonder if that's a possibility. Absolutely. One of the problems with, uh, you know, using computer uh, editing on, photo on photographs is you can go far too far. You can, uh, without uh, without having to get into it, let's just face it, you're starting with usually your best image. You're trying to correct too much. You're trying to edit too much, trying to change too much, trying to to move that image past what it is into something that you, you thought it should be. Sometimes, you know, you're, you just destroy it in the process. You just take it, just destroy it. If it was, if the bones weren't good at the, for, in the start of the image, it just doesn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So that is the whole, the, the fact that she has such great bones in this image, she played with it, altered it, worked with the, the, the foliage, and tweaked it a little bit from time to time, and even gets at that beautiful ice pattern on top of the image as it comes out of the freezers. I think that's amazing, and that's something that you're right will take many, many tries. And I'm sure there's a lot of failed tiles out there that she said, "Oh, that didn't work." That's it. With with a poem, I'm thinking sometimes like um, it takes a long time before, at least for me, I get to the actual. Uh, the, the sort of the, the the good part of like sometimes I can be writing a bunch of crap for ages and then I I finally get to a part that 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 resonates and I'll start over with that and and just just the rest of it's garbage but there's just like this one little image or there's a one or two lines that are like oh yeah that those are those are what I can work with so yeah it's a similar it's probably a similar process. Right. I'm sure, especially when creating something as abstract as this, where you're not actually starting with a with nature's image handed to you, or or with a, with the canvas handed to you. I mean, this this one is completely created. There is no there is no uh, naturally occurring part on this image. That has got to be one of the toughest ways to create a photograph from. I mean, you know, most of us start with uh, a person, a pose, a set, a scene, something that is actually there to start with, and then you add on to it. She had nothing but the foliage. She picked that foliage, she brought that in, she created the ice. It's an amazing thing to go through that process to end up with a lovely image like she's got. Yeah, I guess she she had kind of a philosophy in mind and a kind of a, 
uh, a thought in mind and in general, but the actual, fo- like the whole series, like she's, the other thing too is we're looking at individual photos, but in 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 that particular case, it is part of, and some, and well, uh, the other, the last one too, we're looking at series. So sometimes what you, you, you can only see so much, you can actually see a lot more if you, if you take a, a, a read for a poem, for instance, a long poem or a series, if you look at the whole thing at, rather than a, just one particular thing as well that's another part of it absolutely well there's always the strong image in the series the image that says it that says the draws the, re- the viewer into the rest of the images yeah yeah i can see that yeah. this one looks like one of those for sure all right so next uh okay so the next uh photo we're going to look at is called uh burial of COVID-19 victim and it's a burial of a COVID-19 victim in snowy weather in Wadi Ramat Cemetery in Iran by people dressed in protective gear observing health protocols it is done by Merdad Fahed Youssef Abad and it won an award the 2021 Lens Culture Critics Choice Award and I'll link to it as well so from from the site uh, um, the uh, photographer says I was born 1991 in Tabriz, Iran. I start. I'm started photography in 2015 as a freelance photographer, and after graduating with an MSc of me- mechatronics at IAUT, I started long-term projects focused in urban life and environment changes. And uh, so, um, so yeah, so that's and I'll, I'll share uh, uh, the uh, the uh, Medras uh, Merdad's. Uh, site and also the instagram as well and that article that uh with the photo so yeah the photo is um is uh, we've already described it's a very stark and um sad photo um especially given that uh we're in uh, year three of the pandemic and uh so this was um this shall we talk about uh would you like to start charles talking about sure i mean this is an image that you know, on the surface, it's a it's a news image. It's a it's your it's a documentary type image. It, but at the same time, I mean, you have such a stark landscape. So they, instead of taking an image of many bodies being buried, which I mean, there's lots of those from COVID, where you're seeing many graves, or you're seeing many, uh, or you see even mass graves in some areas. Here, you've got an image where a whole group of people are working to bury this one body, but all of them are wearing protective gear. You know the white coveralls. The the gloves are sealed up. They're wearing masks. Although there is one person in the image who is actually wearing a jacket over top of their scrub, their their protective yeah. gear, which is a, a strange uh, counterpoint. It's a it's an actually odd thing for them to do since that jacket will you know have been exposed. But this is what our society is not talking about right now. I mean, we, we talk about the deaths of COVID as if they are a statistic, a a problem that is, you know, just happening to those people over there. It is happening to a lot of people. It is tragic. Uh, China right now is completely, uh, I think, out of control. and Many, many people are dying. And we need to understand that this isn't something that should be politicized. It's just to be something we're trying to deal with as best as we can. Trying to deal with the tragedy, uh, tragedy of all of the uh, of all of the loss going on in this world, of all of the harm being caused by this this pandemic. 
and even the destruction of humanity, destruction of our society in some ways. Uh, uh, the economy is also being affected. This darkness can, can work to portray all of that suffering that we are also going through. I think that is all I have to say. The, the photo, uh, to me too, the, the fact that the, there are so many people required to bury this one person. And then the other thing is um, I noticed in the background what I believe to be uh, cemetery stones, uh, many cemetery stones. So they're, the, you know, buried in this in this cemetery. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very, it's a stark photo. Uh, there, I mean, the fact that it's, it's happening in the winter time as well. Like there's, I think, I think what comes across for me with this photo is the very strong emotion. Um, we know this happens um, uh, for, and for people we know too, like that they had to deal with um, deaths uh, during uh, COVID or, or from COVID of people who are beloved to them. So they're, it's talking about again. It's talking about things that are happening now. Um, it's um, this is uh, re, uh, this, this is reality, and uh, being able to portray that in in an, um, as a, as a work of art, it's a very important thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think this photo does a good job of uh, of portraying something uh, at making people understand how this is really happening. You know, this is. Uh, this is happening to people, um, you know. And, uh, well, we, we need to we need to humanize the tragedy. We need to bring this out as and stop making it just a, an abstract thing. We need to understand that this is happening to people in real life. It is not something that is just on the news. It is all over the world, and somehow we have to get people to recognize it. Yeah, we have to look after the whole world when dealing with this. There's a there's a minimalism too to this photograph. I mean, it's basically it's it's focused very much on the the um, the scene, but everything there's nothing else but the scene. So it it's a very minimal. It would, a poem would be a very minimal. You would have to do a lot in the poem to create this effect. Like you would have to be able to not have a lot of description. It would be a very a very stark poem, but it, the, you know the words would have a lot of power. So that's that's from a point of view of poetry. That's how I relate to it and the emotion. Uh, yeah, it's a great image, and you know those tombstones that are maybe tombstones in the background. Yeah. It's hard to even tell if they're actually more than just a piece of wood sticking out of the ground because yeah. of the because of the snow and the starkness of everything they could be it, it you know there's almost a temporary nature to the to those stones they look tilted and, and like almost like it's just there's so many they can't even get caught up on the stones yeah so there's yeah. little hints like that in this image that are just an amazing question as to what what how big this is this could this is where you know marrying in the winter time itself is such a labor yeah that's it exactly so that that's that one uh shall we uh, shall we go on to the next certainly let's go for it okay. so this is is um and untitled from documentary 2009 
2011 by Natalie Kukin. So Natalie is a fashion and conceptual photographer who has a unique style that consists of cold tones, muted highlights, and effect that looks like it's been made using a cloudy lens filter. Her haunting style has a candid quality to it. Most of her images look surreal, but there's something relatable in each of them, such as confused looking child or an object you'd, you'd see in your everyday life. And she's in Portland, Oregon. So the photo we've got here is another uh, forest scene. And again, um, the, the, the for, there's the forest is kind of, well, there's um, the forest and there's a, a blurred out figure in front and then going towards someone in a dress who's also uh, blurred out. So that's the, uh, that's the photo. Well, yeah, it reminds me of uh, some famous, and I can't think of who the photographer was, some famous fairy photos of uh, about a hundred years ago that were, were were taken to convince people that fairies did exist. It was that surreal imagery. You can almost see a human in it, but is it a human? Is it not? You're, you're they're using this. the The forest itself is crystal clear. It's in black and white, possibly yes. infrared on the way with the way the tones are. But it's a it's a beautiful, amazing, amazing forest image. And then you have, you see there's a trail, and then you have the illusion of people running to each other, but they are not quite human. Or are they? Are they, you know, is it that, are they ghosts? Is it, is it what are, what is being spoken here? It's, a, it's an amazing, an amazing uh, achievement to, to give this, this image, this uh, uh, questioning part where you have to look at it again and again. And that is always to get people to look at an image over and over again is always, always the goal. And that, that's the same with a, a poem too. Well, at least you hope that that it will be uh, resonate in uh, in the reader's mind, so they or heart, and so that they will keep thinking about it, whatever it has to do with. I'm also interested, by the way, the um, the the trees are sort the uh, are the branches are bowed over. So and there's uh, and the the woman who is in the dress. Uh, she looks like she's uh, coming out of something. It could almost be a cave or a forest, you know, deep into the forest or something. There's a there's this feeling of emergence. Um, of uh, yeah, I find that quite interesting, too. Absolutely. I mean, you're you're looking at an image that if you were to tell the cla any classic tale of a child running to her mother, you know, I mean, you can fill in. The viewer gets to fill in who these people are. Yeah. And that is always brings the viewer more into the image. It's, it's it's the mystery of it brings them in. They they see themselves either as a child or the mother, or maybe it's not a mother. Who knows? But I mean, it brings them into the image. It helps bring that image in into that person's residence space, and they they want to view it again, and they want it. They they get empowered by it. That's what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I also I also uh, think about the um, how strong that image is. Like um, that that uh, that is an image that would stay. It has stayed in my mind since I first saw it. And and, and from a point of view of a poet, a poem to basically you have poems with really strong images that stay in your mind. And uh, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a combination of sounds or a particular aspect of the poem. But they, there's usually something for me. It tends to be sound and imagery for others it might be surface meaning but um for me typically image imagery has a huge part of um 
of what I find um, engaging about a poem. And this, this is what I see here, a really strong image that when I close my eyes, I can still see the image of those two um, figures in white um, and the blurringness of them in this forest. And that's an amazing achievement on their part that they've created this image that does resonate with you and does keep keep in your mind. Exactly. Anything else about that photo? Or shall we move on? I think we should move on. Okay. the The next one is "Power Plant in the USA" by Simon Jung, and Simon Jung is a self taught American photographer who travels the world in search of beauty and abandoned buildings. So this is an abandoned power plant. And I love photos of abandoned spaces. I'm always uh, interested in um, in them, and um, yeah, I, I re it really resonates to me from a, a, the point of view of, of poetry. So this is like the uh, the sort of rusty, dark, old um, uh, machinery, and then there's like a water, old sort of, yeah, just sort of um, um, stagnant uh, water, some kind of plants or something in there. Yeah, what, what do you have to say about this uh, photo? Well, <laughs> again, you wouldn't want to be there. No. Let's <laughs> <laughs> face it. Whoever's standing there taking that photo, they're wearing, you know, the the hip waiter type, you know, uh, rubber gear. They're, they're obviously have managed to get into this space. It's a relatively dangerous photo to take. I mean, you know, you know, uh, getting into these spaces is tricky. They are unsafe. But there's so much human story to be told. Humanity has an amazing ability to create beautiful things and at the same time let its past die. And this is this is an example of ability that instead of being dealt with in a in a in a how should I put it in a in a proper fashion, in a way where, with respect, this building has been just left there to rot, to decay, abandoned in its in its in its death. And we are we do that with our spaces. When we're done with a space, we don't clean it up. We don't look after it. We don't return it to nature. We just let it sit there and rot. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I I, I really like. Um, I am someone who collects uh, a lot of uh, language and uh, things to do with uh, rust and decay. Like I'm, I take photos of. Uh, of uh, dying or, or dead flowers and, and things like that. And I, I think it's an attraction. Uh, the, the sort of the, um, uh, the, these abandoned buildings represent the death of something or, or the dying of something. Maybe at this point it's already dead, but, um, and there's something, uh, it's a subject that is a poetic subject as well. It's a go, you know, so yeah, I, I think there's, I, I had a, um, a uh, chapbook put out online by the Red Ceilings Press in the UK called Me Medusa. And what I did for it is I collected as much vocabulary as I could to do with the textures of metal and its decay and rust and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, there's something about that the um, experience of decay uh, and also the waste, too, of this. I mean, this is a, a, a wasted potential. I mean, it was a power plant. So, yeah. Well, you know, 
you're right. The, the, but human waste is a is such a big issue, and we do not look at it. We do not look at what we leave behind, what we what we throw away, what we what we what we demolish every day. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of images out there of that are shocking. Uh, massive collections of water bottles, of the empty plastic water bottles. Uh, the, you know, the electronic waste. All of this stuff. Humanity does not deal well with it, and we see it here. And we know we have lots of as in place of lots of amazing images about this, and stories at the same time. I. I I have found amazing and interesting stories when you hear about what these places used to be. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the case. I like the I also like the colors in this one. Like it's it's got um it's got a kind of a green tone to it, eh, with the with the with the stagnant uh whatever that liquid is, water or whatever awful uh chemicals it, it is uh in the bottom oh, yeah. of it. Yeah. And the, and the grayness of the of the old um, the pipes and things like that and the machines and yeah it's a really um, it's a really uh, fascinating there's a there's a set of old stairs in the back that go up and it's like there's a lot in here this to me has the makings of, he does this he does them all the time so there's a whole huge I, I'll share his um, well I, I actually doesn't there's no site but I'll share that article that uh, where I found this um, found that image. All right. There's one more photo that we can talk that I, I put on the list to talk about, and it, um, it's actually by a certain Charles Earle, and it, it's actually a series called the Laundromat series. And I picked one of the ones from the series. So, uh, shall we talk about these, Charles? <laughs> sure, we could talk about the Laundromat series. Okay. So, uh, first of all, um, this photo was taken at the. Um, at the laundromat that used to be beside the bridgehead on bank at Gilmore. So that's the first thing to say. And it's, it's, it's a photo of a, uh, of a row of, uh, of, uh, I guess they're dryers. And then, um, in the, uh, sort of in the middle is a table with a green, uh, um, basket on it. And then beside the table is a person and the person it's the back of the person. And they have this orange shirt on that says inmate and they're wearing a hat and they've got their hands on the on the uh, rim of the hat so it's a really fascinating photo it's it absolutely tells a story and you did that series um you did a whole series at that point of uh laundromats uh, can you talk about the photo and also your series yeah i mean this is uh the laundromat series of course was uh you know it was a, a small project to explore the creation of series images and um in this case, you know, we popped into the to, to this laundromat to kind of check it out, and see what we could what we could see, and this person, the inmate, <laughs> uh, he was not an actor. It was not planned, scheduled, arranged in any way, shape, or form. This laundromat was empty. As a matter of fact, Bank Street was closed at the time. It's uh, it was a time when it was under some form of construction. And the street was actually physically closed. There was no traffic on it. And this man was, I, I said to him, you know, I want to take some photos. And he was fine with it. And then he turned away and walked out, walked in to do his laundry, more, you know, to deal with a dryer or washing machine. And there was that shirt. And I could not have asked <laughs> or created a better moment than what he gave me. And that he gave me that moment as, you know, 
as the other images as well. I mean, this is a person who, through their actions, told a story, and I thought that that story was fascinating. And this whole this whole you know series is really just turned out to be the story of of humanity and and you know and working in this you know dealing with what you have to deal with every week. There's nothing you can do to get away from lottery. <laughs> That's it. And the thing too is, I mean, now we we have uh, fewer. I think maybe the laundromat is not as common. Uh, um, in uh, at least, um, I mean, here in Ottawa, that laundromat is gone, and there's a number of um, laundromats that are gone. Um, yeah, it, it's one of the examples of how how life is changing, and how um, you know, is it's it, is it? I don't know. I mean, I we we have uh, laundry, we have common laundry machines in our in our um, a twenty four hour laundry uh, mat in our building, and. Uh, you know, uh, but um, now uh, more modern buildings tend to have them. You have to have uh, an individual uh, machines in your in your uh, place. But we can do five loads in a week, and we can do them all at once and get it all over with at once. So I'm always happy with that. I what I, what particularly stands out to me is, of course, that orange color is and the and the and the word inmate on there. Like you have to wonder about that shirt. Um, and um, also, yeah, so there is a story in this. There's a, definitely a narrative going on here. And also the fact that the laundry machines themselves, everything is is basically just a, kind of a, a beige or a, or a sort of a black and white. And then that, that shirt is this orange and then there's a green basket. So that's, a, and the placement of everything too is, is, is quite neat. Yeah, I mean, I did process this image too, to bring your eye uh, to this darkness of, you know, give you that stark row of, of dryers and this yeah. uh, lovely counterpoint of the inmate shirt to give you this this whole struggle. And, uh, you know, I mean, let's face it, the the our society has decided that even laundry is an individual item now. It's no longer something we share as a community. I mean, I kind of think that's weird, but, you know, that is how our world is going, that we no longer have community for anything that we do. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean the other thing too is um the fact that this is a series so like um this like you you did I, this says laundromat number five how many of these did you do you remember i don't know if you remember off the top of my head i don't i think there might be around four or five or six and obviously at least five six images i know there's one where he is up the front of the laundromat uh, reading a book right um you know, it's um, there may be other images that work from this laundromat in the series, but I mean that you know, I mean a short series of about five six images are, I think the most you're going to get somebody to look at. You know, after it gets past that point, you start to get into the repeat. The images start start to lose energy. You need you need to keep them focused. I mean, I mean, I'm sure poet poetry you struggle with the long poem versus the short poem, or you know really short poems you know haikus and other such things but i mean you know so keeping the viewer interested and letting getting them want to see all the images and how many images is always a tough a tough choice and i think i drew the line around six images for this one 
I think too, like, I mean, you had, you had a common, basically you had a common subject. You had, you wanted to take photos of laundromats. So you had a very specific thing you were working with. So you knew that in every single photo that you were, that was going to be in the series, it would feature some aspect of a laundromat. So you, you're starting with that. And yeah, with, with long poems, sometimes I find when I'm writing them, I start and, well, I don't always know that it's going to be a long poem. First of all, I, I start and sometimes I just don't stop. It's one of the things, but uh, it basically, it's it, what happens with a long poem is it's, I write them out of curiosity to explore. Like I, there's just more to explore. Like I, there's, I, I tend to come from, come with that point of view as a, as a, I need to do a lot more exploration of a particular thing or, 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 or style or whatever it is that I'm working with. So that's, that's why there ends up being long poems. <laughs> and, and I'm sure, I'm sure um, if this had been taken 20 years ago or well, maybe 30 years ago when laundromats were more frequently around and more yeah. variety, even this story could have gone on and it would have had enough variety to attract uh, viewers through even more images. One of the things is we actually, you know, I didn't find a, an abandoned laundromat. If I had, that would have been a lovely image to add to it. Oh yeah. But I mean, we are looking at, you know, the end of laundromats in our society. There's, there's only uh, this one was closed not soon after I took these photos, actually. Yeah. yeah. And the only one I know of that's still around, I, but it just actually got re reinvented, is the one down on Somerset Street, which has become a new coin wash. Yeah, coinomatic. Yeah. <laughs> coinomatic, and it, and it's uh, it's a it's a it's a <laughs> a swing back to that time, but I mean, okay, so there's one. One that came back to life, one that got more, you know, new machines put in it that's been, uh, you know, modernized to be more automated. Um, that is that is a rarity now. I mean, most of these most laundromats I know of, all the other ones I know of, are all closed, except those that are in apartment buildings. Yeah, we have, uh, there's another one that just started, but it's a, a laundromat cafe, and I haven't been there yet. It's at Somerset again, um, west on, um, at Rochester, Tento's Coffee, and it's supposed to have a laundromat as well. So I, I, something, maybe we can go for a walk there sometime and check it out. <laughs> that would be fun. I, I believe if I, if I'm thinking of the spot you're thinking of, I think that was a laundromat a long time ago too. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be a laundromat and then it closed down, uh, during, yeah. closed down during the early uh, on in the pandemic. And now it's come, it's coming back somehow. Anyway, we'll have to go, we'll definitely have to go check it out. All well, right. I think that uh, making, I've never understood why the laundromat and the coffee shop did not unite. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's face it, you're a captive audience for an hour and a half. Yeah. To do your washing and your drying, you know, you would think a coffee shop or a, a cafe would would welcome uh, customers who can't, uh, who really can't leave. That's it. and there was that place. Um, was it uh, where was that one? Uh, was it in the Glebe or there was one in the Glebe a long time ago? Yeah. And it was a restaurant and a and a it was a restaurant and a lot. It was like Wingers or something. And uh, I yeah. think it was supposed to be Ringers. some kind of a, of a 
of a date. Ringers, of course, ringers, not wingers. <laughs> but it was supposed to be some kind of a dating place, right? Like you're supposed to basically go there, meet someone, do your laundry, and and then uh, and then you know, like go to the little uh, restaurant and and have. I think it was a was it a bar? Maybe it was a bar. I don't remember exactly. I think I was there just once. I, you went there one more time than me. I think that must have been before uh, I met you. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it just like went there to uh, see what it was. It was gone when we started. We went to do this series. That was already gone. So I, know, yeah. I know we checked out the one on Somerset. We took some photos there. I know we checked out the one on Bank Street. I know there was one in the Glebe, a little one that yeah. we checked out. And the one on Elgin. I remember we went to the one on Elgin. With I do not remember the one on Elgin. Oh, we with the black and white uh, checked floor. Not uh, not was it Elgin? No, it wasn't Elgin. I'm sorry. It was it was what am I saying? Elgin. It was um, actually in the uh, in in Lower Town on uh, on Dalhousie. Oh, right, that one on Dalhousie. I, I forgot about that one completely. But yeah. you're right, uh, and it had the black and white checked floor. I, I don't believe that one's around anymore either. Oh, I'm not sure. I, I think it is, or at least the cleaner that they had to the cleaner there as right. part of the cleaner is still there. Well, th those of you uh, that this is an interesting project for listeners. Um, look in your neighborhood if you have a laundromat, take a photo, and you you can you can send me your your photo of your laundromat. I'd love to see it. That'd be that'd be cool. Or write a poem. Write write your laundry. Write your laundromat or laundry poems, and and uh, that would be fun to read. Any is there anything else to say about this? photo or anything else or? no i think it's pretty good i mean you know this has been a certainly has been fun <laughs> and uh yeah i think this image is is fully discussed i think i think community uh finding a way to to create community in our society is something we need to do more of i mean obviously you see where laundromats are a fading community i'm sure if i remember the 70s correctly when i was young and, yeah. and a kid and my mom would go would drag us to the laundromat because you know didn't have babysitters for that the you know we was the, the women were chit-chatting all the time it was sort of the way they all it was like yeah. a gossip place like any other place you know people would gossip chat get the local news of whatever happened that wasn't actually on the news and that yeah. is something we've lost i remember camping being being going camping and there was a laundromat and then we were like we were like doing our laundry at a campground or something i don't know what that was about but uh <laughs> well travel Doing laundry while traveling, one of the most awkward things in the universe, right? Yeah. Do you bring enough clothes to for the whole to travel the whole time without going to finding a laundry machine or finding a laundry service? Or do you, you know, struggle every couple of days and find that service out there and hope it gets stuff back before you move on to your next place that you're going to? That's it. Well, we're gonna do our laundry tomorrow morning because we decided we didn't want to do it on Christmas morning. So there you go. There you go, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, if uh, if you don't have anything more to say, I will do the little closing uh, bit. What do you think? Should I? Should I? I think that'll be great. All right. Thanks to Charles Earl for being on the show and for processing this uh, episode and all the episodes to Jennifer Peterson for the intro and outro to all our guests in 2022. And uh, since we started and to all of you for listening and sharing the small machine talks. Uh, next year, we're going to focus on sort of page adjacent activity for want of a better term. So stay tuned for our first guest in January, Karen Jeet Sandhu, who will talk to us about her work, Poetic Fragments from the Irritating Archive, published by Guillermo Press. I wish all of you happy holidays and a joyous and creative 2023. Thank you very much.
Thank you for listening to the Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine Talks.